Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to and proclaim for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Good evening, Uni Church. Thank you, Rose, so much for reading out Isaiah 61 for us. My name is Tyler. Great to be with you tonight. You know, in all my years teaching kids in primary school and serving in children's ministry here at St. Matthew's, I have never once heard a kid say, when I grow up, I want to live in a dump below the poverty line with zero friends, no pets, and nothing to my name except disgrace and despair. Never once. No. No, they would much rather be a marine biologist or a YouTuber or at least work at EB Games. In our more sincere moments, we are aspirational. Even this morning, as I'm driving down to church in my 20-year-old Honda Jazz, I saw three Lamborghinis and just mentally drooled a little bit. We are aspirational. And we love a rags-to-riches story. Or, in the case of Mary Donaldson, even a Tasmania-to-riches story. 
Now, do you know, do you know the story of Mary Donaldson? A tazzy girl, ordinary Aussie, in 2000 at the Sydney Olympics, met a fellow named Frederick at a bar, the Slip Inn in Sydney. They hit it off, chatted, got to know each other. Eventually, Mary found out that this fellow Frederick was actually the crown prince of Denmark. They got together, engaged, married a few years later. And now Mary Donaldson of Tasmania is Crown Princess Mary of Denmark, as featured in Vogue Scandinavia. (laughs) There is something about stories like this that capture our imagination, isn't there? What would it be like to get caught up in a story like that? What would it be like to go from ordinary to extraordinary? Isaiah 61 is the greatest rags to riches story ever. And that story, that can be your story. It's true. There's no reason it couldn't happen to you. So let's not simply hear this story tonight. Let's step into it. Let me pray for God's help as we begin. Heavenly Father, you you do know what we're like. We do struggle to pay attention. We get tired. We get distracted. It's hard to listen. But we also know what you're like. You're generous and you're gracious. So please help us tonight to take your word to heart. We know it's for the best. Amen. Isaiah 61, rags to riches. Here are some of the questions that we're going to ask tonight as we work our way through this passage. First, what is God doing? The first three verses. Then, what is the result of what God is doing? Verses four to seven. Why is God doing this? How is God doing this? And then we'll finish off by thinking, how should we respond? And let me remind you that you're going to find it easier to follow along as we answer those questions if you've got that text of Isaiah 61, you know, on your phone, in your Bibles, in front of you. Let's keep those open and start off by thinking about what is God doing? Verse 1. Let's begin. Have a look. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. Chapter 61 begins with this familiar figure. It's it's a person that might sound similar to the servant that we've met previously in Isaiah. Anointed, approved by the sovereign Lord God, bearing his spirit and sent for this sevenfold, all-encompassing, mind-blowing mission. And here's his purpose. You'll see this right out of the first three verses. Seven things. What are they going to do? Number one, proclaim good news to the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim freedom for the captives 
and release from darkness for the prisoners. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of God. Comfort all who mourn. Provide for those who grieve in Zion. And then finally, bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. It's pretty all-encompassing. If you've suffered through exile like God's people, you've been in a hard spot. Aren't you tired of bad news? Is your heart beginning to feel like this spider web of cracks? Has darkness wrapped its tentacles around you just a bit? Do you feel a prisoner of your past or, or perhaps even a prisoner of your present? Struggling to picture any sort of a joy-filled future? Are you grieving lost hopes dashed dreams, or broken relationships. Well, friends, the the spirit-laden, anointed one sent by the sovereign Lord is for you. You're not going to shut your door in in the face of this figure, are you? You're not going to hang up on this person, are you? The Lord God... He meets people where they're at. But he doesn't leave people where they're at. Look what happens at the end of verse 3. See this. They will be called, the Lord's people, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. The Lord's people, they have been promised this crown, right? that they did not forge, oil they did not press, a a garment they did not weave, beauty, joy, praise, and now righteousness, a status they did not earn. God's purpose, what is it? It is to give his people a new identity for the display of his glory. Oaks. Of righteousness. When was the last time you took a walk in the bush? Do you remember what the trees looked like? Every oak tree, every oak tree in the forest of the Lord's favor has been personally planted by the Lord. Every tree in the forest of the Lord's favor. It shows the splendor of the Lord as they spread their branches. That's how I'd like to grow. How about you? So what's the result of what God is doing? What's the result? Look at verse 4. Verse 4, They will rebuild the ancient ruins, And restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Yes, the end of exile. It is in view for God's people. 
But this, this is about far more than endings. It's about beginnings. It's about building. It's about blessing. From devastation to restoration. As bad as things have been, it's about to get so much better. Verse 5. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. You're going to be so well off. Other people will do your work. Your, Your feet won't get smelly. Your hands won't get dirty. Your backs won't get broken. And then from seemingly far away from God, the Lord's people will be brought near close to God. You will be named ministers of our God in right relationship with God, engaged in his service. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. No longer penniless, no longer hungry, empty pockets, empty stomachs. No, now fed and rich. And in verse 7, check out this exchange. This is so neat. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. That is a trade. That's a trade I'd make any day. What about you? Shame and disgrace for everlasting joy? Yes, please. Yes, please. That is the offer the Lord holds out. Rags to riches. What do you reckon? Now, why is God doing this? Who does this sort of thing? Why in the world would anyone, let alone the sovereign Lord God, be so Good. Verse 8, it gives us a glimpse, a look into the heart of God. So have a look at that verse. Verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. God loves justice. He loves taking broken, burned, hopeless people. He loves planting them in the soil of his grace and nurturing them so they grow into oaks of righteousness. God loves making people right with him. Though let's not ignore, let's not ignore the reality that God also hates robbery. Robbery. Acting like you own what does not belong to you. That's robbery, isn't it? Ultimate robbery, then, is declaring that you are right apart from God. It's not pleasing to God because it's not true. Apart from the Lord God, no one is righteous. So are you backing yourself? Or are you backing the Lord? The Lord never fails. Never. 
in my faithfulness. Did you see this? In my faithfulness, he says, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. I'm so thankful for those words. They're brilliant. Because friends, if you want a God who rewards people, who rewards you based on how good you've been, hey, the world will give you options. They've got a God for that. But if you want a God who rewards people not based on how good they've been, how good you've been, but rewards people based on how good he is, there's only one God who fits that description. Only the sovereign Lord rewards people out of his goodness. And that sort of grace, boy, that's unusual. That's strange, eh? That will be peculiar in our world. And the world will notice. Did you see verse 9? All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. How's God going to do this? We've heard what God's doing, what that means for us, even why God's doing what he is. But, but still there is the question of how. How does this blessing come to us? How can a God who loves justice declare robbers like us right with him? How does that incredible exchange of shame and disgrace for everlasting joy, how does that take place? How do we ditch this spirit of despair and receive and put on that garment of praise? Well, let's take that how. H-O-W. Let's rearrange those three letters to make W-H-O-Who. The clue is in not asking how, but in asking who. Who? So let me take you to the Gospels. To Luke chapter 4 specifically. I'll, I'll put something up on the screen in a moment. Just stay with me here. Hundreds of years after these words in Isaiah are written, a youngish man named Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth walks into his local synagogue on the Sabbath, as he usually does. He's on the reading roster for that day, a bit like Rose perhaps read the passage for us this evening. And at the appropriate time, he stands up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah is placed in his hands. What do you think that scroll felt like? How heavy do you think it was? Perhaps people are yawning, napping, looking around to see who else is in synagogue tonight, wondering what's for supper afterwards. The scroll unrolls and the man finds the place he's been looking for and he begins to read. See if these words sound familiar. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Silence. You could hear a pin drop. The reader carefully rolls up that scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and sits down. No one is looking around anymore. Everyone is looking right at Jesus of Nazareth. He cuts those stairs. He breaks that silence with one more sentence. Jesus says, today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today is Palm Sunday, of course, and Today we remember Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, riding on a young donkey. People spread out. They waved tree branches, palms, before him. But only a few days later, people weren't waving tree branches anymore. No, Jesus was hung on a tree, on a wooden cross, so that we might be called trees, oaks of righteousness. Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, it was marked by shouts of, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And friends, the only way that we are blessed is if God's anointed one, the blessed one, takes what is ours and gives us what is his. And that's what happened. Jesus bore our shame. He took our shame and our disgrace as he died for us. And in exchange, what do we get? We get the robe of his righteousness. That is the freedom. That is the good news that Jesus proclaims. And so the reason... That we have a place. Listen to this. The reason that we have a place in the brilliant rags to riches story of Isaiah 61 is because Jesus went from riches to rags for us. And friends, that is grace. That is God's favor. And did you notice That Jesus, he finishes his quotation from Isaiah with that line. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He leaves out mention of the day of vengeance of our God. Why does he do that? Why did Jesus do that? I wonder if he's saying that Jesus is ushering in this new era Of God's grace. And there is still opportunity. There is still time, Uni Church, to turn to Him, to rightly respond, to say yes to Jesus. The year of the Lord's favor, it's not yet drawn to a close, but it's only a matter of time. The year of the Lord's favor will have a New Year's Eve. It will have an end when Jesus 
comes again, bringing God's vengeance, bringing the final judgment against his enemies, and yet, yet also bringing final, fully realized salvation for his friends. And hey, when, when that's going to be, only the sovereign Lord knows. But we do know, we know it's coming. And so the question is, here it is, Will you be dressed for the occasion? How should we respond? Verse 10. Verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. The attitude of Isaiah, the attitude of the servant, the attitude of our Lord Jesus, that is now our attitude. And surely it makes sense then that our souls would overflow, they would well up in rejoicing with thankfulness to the source of our everlasting joy to the sovereign Lord. And notice, notice that God does not give us a straitjacket. He gives us a garment. Because this delight in the Lord, it is not forced. No. It is fostered. It comes through remembering our salvation. Where we've been. And how faithful and how loving God has been to us in the Lord Jesus. The blessing of the Lord Jesus, that is now our blessing. We get to wear the robe of his righteousness. You may have heard that that the Oscars, the, the big movie awards, were held recently, right? And they're not only obviously huge for the film industry, they are, they are massive for the fashion industry as well. This might surprise you. I've never actually walked down that red carpet into the Oscars ceremony. I've never been amongst those adoring fans or the snappy paparazzi on either side of the red carpet as the celebrities walk in. But I do know that those people on either side of that red carpet, they don't ask the celebrities, what are you wearing? They ask them, who are you wearing? As in, which fashion house or designer are you wearing? Imagine if there was a Christian walking down that red carpet into the Oscars and they're stopped and asked that question, who are you wearing? And they answered, who am I wearing? I am clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ. It may sound decidedly unfashionable, but for the Christian, there would be no truer way to answer that question, would there? If you are a Christian, you can say, the clothes of Christ are mine. The wardrobe of Christ has been opened up to you. I remember as a teenager those Occasions when I had to dress up 
I didn't own a necktie of my own, but, but my dad had to wear a tie to work every day. So I'd go into his wardrobe, I'd nick one of his ties that took my fancy. Thanks, Dad. He was, he was happy for me to do that. But in a sense then, those special pieces of clothing, those were mine. But we're talking about much more than a tie that makes you look dapper, aren't we? We are talking about garments of salvation. The idea that you are covered head to toe in righteousness, in goodness, in glory. And when God looks at you now, when he looks at you, he doesn't see a pretender in ill-fitting clothing. No. He sees you perfectly clothed with Christ. And these clothes, they, they come with none of those annoying strings that you've got to trim off. There are no strings attached. They are freely ours. Yes, yes, costly for Jesus, but free for us. And even though they're free, you're not going to find them at, at Salvo's, at, at Kmart, at Claremont Quarter, <laughs> online, Marketplace, eBay, wherever. No. They are ours only in the Lord Jesus. Rags to riches. From the duds of despair to robes of righteousness. That is what Jesus does for us. Jesus is our reward. Not earned. No. Given. He is the everlasting guarantee of God's promises. Rags to riches. I know. It's a classic fairy tale trope, isn't it? But, but of course, scripture, it is so superior to a fairy tale, isn't it? Not only because it is true, not only because it tells a far more interesting and intricate story, but also because this transformation that Scripture describes, it is so much more profound and dramatic than any Cinderella makeover a fairy tale is going to feed you. It is far more surprising and joy-saturated than the Cinderella stories of underdog teams in our favorite sporting competitions. Rags to riches. That is your story if you are trusting in Jesus. The opening chapters, they're written. We're living them now, but, but it hasn't finished. No, we're in the middle of it. Now, often in stories, you, you, know, you read a book, you watch a movie, you, you see a play. We're, we're left wondering till the end, till the final scene, the final chapter. Will this pan out? How is this going to end? Christians, we don't need to wonder, though. We just wait well. Because in our story, the ultimate outcome, that is settled. The key event has already happened. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. And so there's no sense of, how is this going to end up for the Christian? But rather, this is going to happen. And it's going to be good. And how amazing that I am included, that I am a part 
of this sweeping, sweet salvation story. Isaiah 61, it lets us look at the remarkable unfolding of God's plan for his people. It is a majestic reversal of their history. But not only theirs, of our history as well. So let me close with this. Let's land here. Friends, your history, your history does not have to determine your destiny. Perhaps many of us here, myself included, from time to time, we keenly feel shame, perhaps even despair. Because we know that we have covered ourselves with disgrace. The things we've thought, the things we've said, the things we've done, they're not great. And we love to take them back. But we can't. I can't. And some of us here, we have had terrible things happen to us. We are covered in the scars of pain and darkness. But Isaiah says, He says that those will not be the clothes that you wear forever. Your history does not have to determine your destiny. The difficult narrative you're in, it will not have the last word in your life. If you are a Christian... God is writing you into a story in which your future could not be more different than your past. And this is a story that doesn't end, no. It will just keep getting better. Everlasting joy will be yours. Isaiah 61 It is the greatest rags-to-riches story ever, I reckon. All because of Jesus. Jesus proclaims good news. And he provides us with new garments. And what do we do? (laughs) We, We receive. And we rejoice. Amen.